I know I stand in a precarious place tonight in between you and lots of delicious food. They'd wait for you on the other side of those doors. So thank you again for that. Uh, touch, touching our hearts, making me, making me a little emotional. You're distracting me with my own emotions tonight. So, all right, all right, let's let's do this. I want to, um, I want to, I want to read a story to you tonight. It's one of my favorite stories. I, I try to work it in every couple of years, and uh, I want to share a story. I'm, I'm going to share with you a couple of thoughts, and then I want to dig around in a text for a little bit tonight. We're we're in a in a prayer series uh, called the Circle Maker. We're reading Mark Batterson's book Circle Maker in our life groups, and and uh, and so when when we began to talk about this series, I really wanted to do a how-to series on prayer. We usually do a how-to series on prayer each year, and uh, but I really felt like God began to speak to my heart about not doing a how-to series on prayer, but doing a what is series on prayer. And just this week, I felt like God spoke to my heart that he said that you can know the how to, but that's not going to bear the fruit until you first know the what is. And so, so for the last two weeks, we've been talking a little bit about this idea that if we're going to pray more, our heart has to change. And so we talked about a heart that loves. We talked about a heart that commands. And we talked about a heart that believes. So we did affection, authority, and anticipation. And so we're just kind of kind of stay in that vein tonight, this idea of the, of the what is of, of prayer. And so, so here's the story. It says, cold air rushing out of a limestone sinkhole atop a big hill west of Luray, Virginia blew out a candle held by Andrew Campbell, the town tinsmith. It was on the morning of August 13th of 1878 when Campbell and three other men and his 13-year-old nephew, Quint, were exploring for a cave. With the help of his photographer companion, Benton Stebbins, they for four hours dug away loose rock. And then candle in hand, Campbell followed Quint, followed by Quint, slid down the rope. Man and boy could scarcely believe what they saw around them, for they found themselves in the largest caverns in the East, an awe-inspiring world of wonder, filled with stalactites and stalagmites sparkling in the light of the candle. There should be moments in our prayer life when it feels as though the earth gives way beneath our feet and we find ourselves in a place of awe, and wonder. I, I think of all the people throughout history who probably walked by that spot. I think of all the people in hi- history for centuries, because it had been there for millennia, for, for centuries, just taking a walk through that field and felt an updraft th- through that hole and probably thought to themselves, I, w- I wonder what's down there. And for centuries it lied undiscovered until that day where some people said, I know it's going to take some effort. I know it's going to take some time. I know we're going to break a sweat, but let's just take a chance and see what's down there. Can you imagine what it was like for them that first moment where they lifted that candle up and they were probably in something about this size under the earth. And it causes me to ask the question, How often is that the picture of you and I with God? That he has so much waiting for us, especially in places of prayer where the earth can give way beneath our feet. And so many times there's the drawing and the wooing and the pulling of the Holy Spirit into that place, myself included, and we just keep walking by and there's so much that he longs for us to discover. 
If there is anything that's going to come out of this series that we're going to be in together all the way up until Thanksgiving, let it be that in those moments where we feel the prompting of the Holy Spirit that we will abandon whatever it is that we're doing and get on bended knee and believe that there is something deep in God that He wants us to discover. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to John It's going to be our text tonight, Love the Gospel of John. It's the first book I read when I was 23, made a vow of devotion to Christ. John chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 24 to 29, verses 24 to 29. But but before we get into the text, let's let's do a little vocabulary. Can we do that? Let's let's lay a little bit of of groundwork. So let's pretend that, that all of you fell asleep and now you're in a dream, which is not a far stretch for some of you when I'm preaching on Saturday nights, just saying. So, so one of these days, I'm just going to do it, right? Somebody's going to fall asleep, and I'm just I'm going to get right up neck, close to their face as I can. Would that, would that not be good? Now, they would probably never come back to the church, but it would be hilarious, right? All right. So let's just pretend you're in a dream. You, you've woken up, and you're in math class, right? All of you, many of you already are saying, this is not a dream, it's a nightmare, right? So you're, you're in a math class, and the math teacher's in the front of the classroom, and they've got a whiteboard or chalkboard or whatever you want to envision based on your age. For me, it's a chalkboard. And, and, and they're up there, and they write a formula all the way across the chalkboard, and then the teacher turns to the class and says, do you see that? And then everybody would say, yes. But everybody in that classroom would probably mean something very different when they said yes, because that yes would mean something different to them. Some of you, probably most of us, when we say yes, that we would mean that I can see it with my natural eye, but it means nothing to me. There's no understanding. There's no recognition. I see that there is writing, but I do not know what it means. In the Greek, there's this word ophthalmos that gives us the word ophthalmology or optometrist. And Dr. Amy's in here tonight. She's an eye doctor. We'll call this the Dr. Amy kind of scene. I can see with my natural eye, but there's nothing in my natural mind that registers what I'm looking at. Right? Then there's another word in the Greek. It's E-I-D-O. That to me sounds like E-I-E-I-O, and so I know I'm a little bit odd, but I call that the old McDonald had a farm kind of scene, all right? And, and this means I see it, and I understand what I'm looking at, right? So there's the math formula on the board, and some of you, you would say, I see that. You know what it means. You could solve it. There's seeing, and there is understanding. Then there's another Greek word. It's H-O-R-A-O, horeo. It sounds like hooray to me, and I think that is appropriate because this means you see it, But you see it with this more than you see it with this. It means that there's a feeling of love. There's a feeling of passion. And for some of you, there may be about two or three that you would have had that feeling in math class, right? And we know who you are. And we don't like you. Because you always got really good grades in math without having to study, right? Because for you, you you're passionate about math. You're passionate about numbers, right? So there's the people that see that don't understand. There's the people that recognize. And then there are the people who see and they experience something when they look at it. Horeo in the Bible is always used to translate the word for vision. So whenever you and your Bible come across, they had a vision, it's that kind of seeing. It's an experience. It changes us. So 13 years ago, Vanessa and I, we had our first child. Over there in the blaze orange there, Derek. 
And so we're excited. We're, we're young parents, and, and uh, you know, we're waiting for the day that's going to come where she goes into labor. And, of course, I'm obviously more excited about that than she is because it means something very different to her than it does for me, right? It is a funny story that we, she went into labor in the middle of the night, and we, we, we called the doctor, which, you know, they love to get those calls at 2 in the morning from mothers who were pregnant for the first time. And, and it wasn't our doctor. It was somebody that was on call. And, and so he assumed it was, you know, false labor. And so this is the, the advice. He, he said, I want you to go drink a beer and go back to bed, right? I think what he meant probably was that I'm probably going to need to have a beer so I can go back to sleep, right, as the doctor. So here we are, the, the young married missionary family living in the inner city of Richmond, right? We lived in a crime-ridden area, and we're looking at each other. We can see it now. I'm going across the street to, not hi, I'm the pastor across the street. I know it's 3 in the morning. My wife's pregnant. She needs a beer. Do you have anything that you could share with us, right? So, so needless to say, we went back to sleep, but it really was not false labor, and so we had the whole experience of rushing to the hospital and careening down the interstate in our Dodge Stratus, trying to get to the hospital before Derek got to us, and, and so we get there, and so eventually Derek's born. Now, back in those days, you could go up into the, into the birthing ward, and, and, and you could see they had all the plate glass, and you could look in and see all the babies that had been born. You didn't even really need a pass to get up there in those days, and, and so they would even have the carpeted steps so that little brothers and sisters and cousins could walk up and look up into the window and, 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 and see babies that had arrived. So I'm standing there, right, with my father, and, and, and we're, we're, we're looking in there, and I see all the babies. I see every one. Ophthalmos. I, I, I see them, but most of them, I don't know who they are. I don't know what it means. I, I visually engage them, but it means nothing. Then there was one child that I saw in there. It's the old McDonald had a farm kind of scene because their family was with us in the parenting class, and they just happened to have their baby the exact same day that we did, right? So when I saw him and saw his name, I, I saw him. I knew who he was. I knew his mother, and I knew his father. But then there was another child that was in a bassinet in there, Derek Paul Michaud. And I stood there with my father, generation number eight, generation number nine, generation number 10 of Michaud's in Virginia. And I saw him. I saw him. Not with this, but with this. And that kind of seeing is the kind of seeing that Jesus invites Thomas into in our story. Verse 24 says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, he was nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. And the word they use for see here is horeo. We've seen him. There's been an experience. Something is different. We now believe that he is the risen Savior. Our lives are never going to be the same again. Hooray. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see. Old MacDonald had a farm see. I need to see. I'm not looking with my heart, guys. I, I don't know if you had too much smoked fish before you went to bed or whether or not you're making this story up because you know that I am have a, a crisis of faith. But I, I, I want to see him with this. I want to understand that he's real. And then what does he say? I want to the nail wounds in his hands, I want to put my hand in them. I want to place my hand in the wound in his side. E-I-E-I-O. You can write that right in your Bible. Eight days later, 
It was really seven days, but in Jewish tradition, they counted the days on both ends, so it was still Sunday. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he goes right to Thomas. And he says, put your finger here. And he says, Look, or your Bible might say, see. And he uses the old McDonald had a farm, the E-I-D-O word. I want you to see it, Thomas. I want you to know that this is real, that I'm not an aberration, that this isn't some kind of dream. You haven't fallen asleep and waken up in a, in a stupor. And, and, no, 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 I am here, and I want you to see me. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. And I love what Thomas says here. He does not say the Lord and the God. He says, my Lord, my God. It's personal for him. It's not about the facts anymore. It's not about what's real and what's not real. It's about who he is as a man, as a follower of this one who is the son of the living God. Now listen to what Jesus says to him. It gets into some deep water here. Come on, we like the deep water here at the City Life Church. He says to him, you believe because you have seen me. But he does not use the word for Dr. Amy Kearney seeing. He doesn't use the word for Old MacDonald had a farm seeing. He uses the word for hooray. He uses the word H-O-R-A-O. You believe because you have seen me, and blessed are those who believe without seeing. And then he switches back to the Old MacDonald had a farm. Why is all of that wordplay in there? Because Jesus came back to Thomas to correct him. Jesus came to Thomas to challenge him. Jesus came to Thomas to say, this is not how I've raised you as a spiritual son of my house. You have been walking with me for three years and you say, I want to see you with your mind. Don't you know that walking with me isn't about the mind, it's about the heart. I came to let you see, but you believe because you saw He's saying to him, if you are going to believe, Thomas, and there's a lot more I'm going to ask you to believe, you've got to set aside your need to be the old McDonald had a farm kind of person, and you've got to pick up the H-O-R-A-O kind of person that sees with your heart, even if you cannot see with the eyes in your head and understand with the brain in your mind, there is a faith, there is a trust that's got to well up inside of you. I want you to see me. And Jesus said, and blessed are those, those that are going to walk satisfied in life, those that are going to say, heaven now, heaven forever, blessed are those who have not seen, blessed are those who don't need to always understand it, blessed are those who don't need to see it with their natural mind, blessed are those who see with their heart standing in the maternity ward looking at their child for the very first time and they say, I see you, God says, that's the way I see you and that's the way I need you to see me. Revelation. I think we can all say on the island of Patmos that day that the earth gave way beneath John's feet. Can we not? 
Can can we not say that the earth gave way beneath his feet in a place of prayer and he had a a vision that has changed him forever, changed the church forever? It is the capstone of the Holy Scriptures and you just can't get away from how it starts. This is the revelation from Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place and he sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John who faithfully reported everything that he saw. Not with the eye of the head, not with the understanding of the mind, But the Holy Spirit, as John's writing this great book that's going to be the capstone to Holy Scripture, he reaches for the one great word, H-O-R-A-O, Horeo, everything that he saw with the eyes of his heart. So Paul sits down one day to write a letter to some dear friends. It's in a city called Thessalonica. And he's writing this and the Holy Spirit is stirring in his heart. He sees everything that he's supposed to pen on the paper. And he gets to this one place that we recognize as 1 Thessalonians 5.17, 1 T 5.17. And he says, never stop praying. Don't stop. Keep coming back to prayer all the days of your life because the earth will give way beneath your feet and you will discover the things in God's heart that he has dreamt for you and dreamt for the world. Will you not be drawn into those moments? Never stop praying. And I think what he was saying to you and I think what he's saying to me is that in the end, Whether or not you know how to pray, I don't know. But if you can just know what it is and what he's saying to us, I think tonight is prayer is so much more than opening our mouths that we might speak. It's about opening our hearts that we might see. Not about opening our mouths that we might speak, but opening our hearts that we might see. Because there is a cavern of dreams in the heart of the Father that he longs for us to discover. And what we're saying as a church, if you call this your church home, we long to see and discover those things together. And the only way that it will ever happen is if we do it on bended knee. Father, find in this church an appetite for prayer. Find in this church an aching and a hungering for prayer. Find in this church a longing and a desire to walk in a place of revelation that knows that we are seen by you and that we long to see you in turn. That we long to look into the depths of who you are and discover the destinies that you've dreamed for us to live the lives that you have called us to live. And may it be that all of our days... When we stand in front of circumstances that confuse us, when we stand in front of circumstances that perplex us, when we stand in front of circumstances that deny your goodness, when we stand in front of circumstances that seem to say that you are not real, that you do not care, and that you do not love, that we would not need the eyes that are on our face, that we would not need the mind that gives us thoughts that we would only need the eyes of the heart, that we would pray, and in that place, that we would see you. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said together, 
Amen. So come on, as Father Fred 